It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Good afternoon and welcome to the broadcast. The Israeli-Hamas war turned 60 days old today. Richard Engel gets us started from Jerusalem. Every time we think things in Gaza can't get more apocalyptic, they do. Reporter Raf Sanchez. The United Nations estimates around 80% of all Gaza residents have been displaced by the fighting, and it's likely that this offensive in the south will lead to further displacement. The Israeli army is stepping up attacks in the south to root out Hamas terrorists. State Department spokesman Matt Miller. We do expect to see civilian casualties as a result of this campaign. That is sadly true in all wars. It is especially going to be true in a war in a crowded urban environment where the opponent, Hamas, is using civilians as human shields. Israeli government spokesman Mark Regev says Hamas has no respect for human life. Why else do you build your bunkers under hospitals? Why else do you store missiles in, in schools? Why else do you build underground tunnels under urban neighborhoods? He can't be sure that any of the remaining hostages taken by Hamas on October 7th are still alive. Israel is said to be considering a plan to flood Hamas tunnels with seawater from the Mediterranean. The recent rise in anti-Semitism on U.S. college campuses, the focus of a hearing on Capitol Hill today. The presidents of three universities, UPenn, Harvard, and MIT, have been called before Congress to talk about what they're doing or not doing to combat hate crimes against Jews. College leaders are facing heat as they try to balance the rights of students to speak and protest freely without allowing the rhetoric to get out of control or threaten the safety of students. It comes after a staggering 73% of Jewish college students say that they've seen or experienced anti-Semitism this year. Correspondent Ryan Noble, some on Capitol Hill are calling for an end to federal aid to schools that do not adopt a zero-tolerance policy toward anti-Semitism. FBI Director Chris Wray is also on Capitol Hill today. He's testifying before a Senate panel that's conducting oversight of his bureau's powers. Ohio Republican Jim Jordan says the Bureau is biased against conservatives. If you're pro-life, if you're a traditional Catholic, somehow you're radical, somehow you're an extremist. Remember, this is part of the Justice Department that said if you're a mom and dad going to a school board meeting, you're an extremist as well. Director Ray is pushing for renewal of a controversial surveillance program that allows the FBI to spy on Americans. The FBI is investigating a massive home explosion in Arlington, Virginia. This man says the blast was heard and felt for miles away. I was just in my house and had heard like a series of like, what sounded like gunshots? And then um, the explosion just happened and I thought someone drove like a car through our front door. The home blew up after somebody inside began firing flares. This woman lives nearby. I was laying in my bed and then just, it felt like we got attacked. The blast happened as cops were trying to serve a search warrant. A shark has killed a 44-year-old Boston woman at a popular tourist attraction in the Bahamas. It happened near the Sandals Beach Resort on Nassau Island. The woman was attacked while paddleboarding about a mile from shore. The arrest of a former U.S. ambassador has unraveled what authorities say is a decades-long espionage case. 73-year-old Victor Manuel Roche 
Rocha is accused of spying for communist Cuba. The criminal complaint says Rocha claimed his involvement with Cuban intelligence went back almost 40 years, referred to the United States as the enemy, and said his number one priority was protecting the Castro regime. Manuel Bohorkis reporting. Should Big Pharma be forced to pay to settle lawsuits related to the opioid crisis? That's the question before the U.S. Supreme Court this week. The outcome of this case could also have huge implications for how corporations use bankruptcy to try to protect owners from lawsuits. And that's why you're seeing other organizations like the Boy Scouts and the Catholic Church filing papers in support of this agreement. A decision is expected by Correspondent Jan Crawford, former GOP Congresswoman Liz Cheney, is warning against a second Donald Trump presidency. A vote for Donald Trump may mean the last election that you ever get to vote in. She tells NBC's Savannah Guthrie that the U.S. is headed toward a dictatorship if Trump wins in 2024. Do you believe if Donald Trump were elected next year that he would try to stay in office beyond a second term? That he would never leave office? There's no question. You think he would try to stay in power forever? Absolutely. Chris Bedford with the Common Sense Society says that line of questioning shows just how bad Trump derangement syndrome is within the mainstream media. When you see them call Trump Caesar or Napoleon or Hitler, what they're really trying to do is to justify whatever actions they're about to take to stop him. Fox News contributor Byron York says liberals are worried that Trump could win in 2024. A bunch of polls that we saw just a few weeks ago showing Donald Trump beating Joe Biden in head-to-head matchups. Then we saw beating Joe Biden in key swing states. There was a huge freakout after that. The next GOP presidential debate is tomorrow night, and like the previous three, Donald Trump will not be taking part. Still to come on the Noon Report for a Tuesday, Corning's cannabis consumption law, the race to replace George Santos, and the dad of the missing RIT student. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams looking at more cloud cover and a little snow in the forecast. I'll have the details coming up in All right, Kevin, we will see you then. Let's check the stories making news across New York and Pennsylvania. The city of Corning, New York, has just updated its cannabis consumption laws. Lawmakers have narrowly voted to enact new rules for where pot can be purchased and smoked. Weed shops are not allowed on the same road or within 200 feet of churches. They're banned within 500 feet of schools or youth facilities. Still, many angry residents showed up at City Hall last night, expressing frustration that Corning voted to enact state restrictions instead of a local ordinance, which would have limited even more where cannabis can be consumed in the Crystal City. Pennsylvania's 15 community colleges are operating on fiscal fumes, says State Representative Mary Isaacson. Unfortunately, our community colleges have become um, hostage to this ongoing budget negotiation that's been going on since June. That's when Governor Shapiro vetoed a school choice bill from the budget, and that upset many conservatives. Community colleges have been forced to dip into their emergency reserves while the funding fight continues in Harrisburg. At some point, we're going to need to stop playing legislative games and make sure that we cleanly fund 
these institutions so that they can get their money as they are public institutions that we should be funding. Legislators are in session for three days next week, and that's it for the rest of the year. If nothing gets resolved, the state's community colleges will miss out on their next payment in January. More than a quarter million residents attend community college in Pennsylvania. The search continues for a missing college student at the Rochester Institute of Technology in western New York. 22-year-old Matthew Grant disappeared on November 20th and hasn't been seen or heard from since. Do you believe that Matthew is in danger right now? I I don't know. Grant's father, Mark, spoke to Spectrum News last night. Matthew is a very kind soul. He doesn't see anything but good and everybody he meets. Matthew Grant is a native of Michigan and co-captain of the wrestling team at RIT. His Jeep Cherokee was last spotted on an interstate near Syracuse, but the vehicle has not been recovered. My opinion is that he went to the northern area. He's an outdoor-y kind of kid. Um, likes the scenic views, um, hiking trails, things like that. Police are scouring gas station surveillance video to try and learn anything they can about what might have happened to Matthew Grant. The missing college student told his off-campus roommates on the night of November 20th that he was going out to meet a friend. Crime is out of control in Philadelphia. A security guard at a Macy's store was stabbed to death yesterday by a man who was trying to steal merchandise. Just a trap. Tragic situation. Um, again, you know, just right here uh, a few weeks before the holiday. Philly Police Commissioner John Stanford says the murder suspect left the store after being caught red-handed stealing hats. Fifteen minutes later, he returned with a weapon and stabbed to death a 30-year-old security guard. A second security guard was injured. This shopper was horrified. You would think that people would have a different mindset, especially during the holidays. You know, it's love, you know, family. You want to have fun. You want to enjoy the holidays. You don't want to put people through turmoil and, and grief like this. The suspect was arrested near a subway station a short while later. Governor Hochul must decide soon on a date for a special election to fill former Congressman George Santos' seat in downstate New York. He was ousted from Congress last week. Political pundit Lawrence Levy at Hoff Street University. Anybody who thinks this is a slam dunk for the Democratic Party because they have a former incumbent and Biden carried it by eight points has not been keeping track of what's happened in the last couple of years. Democrats are expected to nominate former Congressman Tom Suozzi for the seat, the third congressional district seat on Long Island. Republicans have yet to name a candidate, but are expected to do so as soon as today. In Erie, Pennsylvania, state lawmakers under the gun for the mileage reimbursement he submits to the state each year. Democrat Pat Harkins has been collecting about $25,000 a year every year for the past five years. It does seem excessive. That is former state Senator Jeff Pecola, who wonders who authorized these payments anyway. The answer is the policeman has to be the House of Representatives itself. PA lawmakers just last week got a three and a half percent pay raise, making them the third highest paid legislative body anywhere in America. It may be December, but the state of Pennsylvania is already putting out the call for help in the new year. Once the weather warms up, Even 
Even though warmer weather is still a few months off, the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources is looking to fill outdoor working positions for their young adult crew program for the 2024 spring, summer, and fall seasons. This nine-month program begins March 18th and offers young adults ages 18 to 25 from across the state the chance to help complete conservation and recreation projects in Pennsylvania state parks and forests. Brian Query, Family Life News. Thank you very much, Brian. New York City has officially been named the worst city in America to drive in. Here's correspondent Scott Pringle. New Yorkers spend an average of 236 hours in rush hour traffic annually. That's according to Circuit, which ranked the worst places to drive in the U.S. out of 80 cities. New York drivers spent the most time in congestion and have the second worst for money spent on gas because of congestion. New York was also eighth worst for deadliest crashes. Scott Pringle, New York. Fun to visit, not so fun to drive in. Thank you, Scott. Well, sports is next. The two-minute drill right here on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, it was a thriller in Jacksonville last night as the Cincinnati Bengals and the Jags went into overtime with the Bengals winning it 34-31 on a 48-yard field goal by Evan McPherson. The loss was a tough one for Jacksonville, made even more difficult when starting quarterback Trevor Lawrence had to leave the game late due to an ankle injury. He had thrown three touchdown passes prior to departing from the contest. Well, the quarterfinal round of the NBA's in-season tournament got underway last night, and the Celtics are done. The Pacers defeated Boston 122-112, and they will play either the Bucks or the Knicks in the semifinals. Those two teams will play tonight. Out west, the Pelicans beat the Kings 127-117 to also advance. They await the winner of the Lakers-Suns matchup. On the ice, it was deja vu all over again for the Penguins and the Flyers. Pittsburgh took a 1-0 lead late in the first on a Sidney Crosby goal, but Philadelphia evened it up in the second, and then in overtime, Sean Coutier buried the game winner with a minute to play in the extra period, and that gave the Flyers a 2-1 win. Coutier netted the game winner in a shootout against the Pens over the weekend. Elsewhere, Tampa Bay shut out Dallas 4-zip. The Canadiens doubled up the Kraken 4-2. The Canes fell to the Jets 2-1. Arizona all over the Capitals 6-zip. And St. Louis edged the Golden Knights in overtime 2-1. Baseball's winter meetings are in full swing, and all eyes are on Shohei Otani and where the American League MVP will play next season. When we find out, we'll let you know. That is a look at sports. Yes, we will. Thank you very much, Randy Mann. And still to come on the Noon Report, a Tuesday edition. It's day 60 of the war. Virginia house explosion. And the most searched word of the year on Wikipedia. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. One of the very best features of our smartphones is the ability to apply a few tweaks to our photos before sending them on to relatives or sharing them on social media. Using a phone's built-in tools, we can bump up the brightness or fix red eye, all with the desired result of a photo that looks more like the real-life moment when we snapped it. Of course, these same tools can now deliver photos that are even better than what we saw in real life. We can even create moments that didn't happen in real life. 
Is it okay to pass these moments off as real? What's this boundary between fiddling with a photo and faking a photo? Does this even matter? Such questions will soon be forced on us through the integration of artificial intelligence with our smartphones. Writing recently at the New York Times, tech editor Brian Chen described how devices like Google's Pixel 8 come with an AI-powered magic editor, a tool that can remove and add objects, can move subjects around, even stitch together elements from multiple photos into a new one. The result is imagery that's partially make-believe. These snapshots of alternate realities fudge the truth in front of your lens, which is the point since they're closer to exactly the photo you wanted in the first place. According to Ren Ang, a computer scientist professor at Berkeley, this means that, quote, as we boldly go forth into this future, a photo is no longer a visual fact, end quote. AI-powered photography and editing means that people will, quoting again, increasingly have to question whether what they see in their images is real, including photos from loved ones. Now, of course, this goes further than just personal photos and will contribute, Ang thinks, to the spread of fake media online at a time when misinformation is already rampant and it's hard to know what to trust, end quote. Increasingly, the fundamental worldview questions of our age seem to be what is real and who can I trust? Fake photos, artificial wombs, and AI chatbots posing as friends are just a few examples of the technology that's challenging our very understanding of reality itself, including our understanding of who we are and why and even whether we need anyone else. Christians should have a clear answer to these questions. Non-negotiable purposes and relationships were built into creation by God, things that humans were designed to pursue and steward in particular ways. This is not an infinitely malleable world. We're not infinitely malleable creatures able to invent and reinvent ourselves as technology permits. So here are two principles we should keep in mind as we go boldly forth into this future of AI smartphones and photography. First, we should never lie, not even with AI. That means we need to define the term photograph. Is it a shared visual fact, a representation of reality that can establish everything from family memories to journalistic truth, or is it an idealized, manufactured digital painting? We should not get into the habit of confusing one with the other. Second, we shouldn't look to technology to replace human ability. Somewhere between using AI to edit out a trash can from a family photo and using it to create a fake family member for Instagram, a moral line has been crossed. That line is on a slope, and we're about to find out just how slippery that slope is. Planting your feet firmly now and intentionally now, well, that seems to be a really good idea. Christians should be pro-technology and pro-human, and we can be at the same time. God gave humans the ingenuity to make such tools, and these tools can be used to glorify Him and to love others. However, tools, just like their users, need a purpose, a purpose that's grounded in God's design for reality. The moment that our tools begin using us or severing our relationship with reality, something's gone wrong. In other words, we need wisdom in the days ahead, not just artificial intelligence. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, John, thank you very much for that. With that, let's take it outside next, Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon. Cloudy, some light snow spreading across the Twin Tiers region, continuing into tonight. Then we look for lake effect snow showers tomorrow. Snow accumulations across most of the area will be slight, generally in the neighborhood of a coating to an inch or two. Some higher tallies will be possible in the favored lake belt areas southeast of Lake Erie and Ontario. Temperatures this afternoon, the 30s dropping to the 20s tonight, rising slightly tomorrow. 
Thursday, cloudy with a bit of snow, then a bit of rain, and high temperatures in the 30s to near 40. All right, Kevin, great work as always at the Weather Center. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price, and here's what's happening this Tuesday afternoon, the 5th of December. And then there were four. The stage is shrinking ahead of tomorrow night's Republican presidential debate in Alabama. Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Nikki Haley will duke it out in prime time on News Nation. It's the last debate before the Iowa caucuses, less than six weeks away. Donald Trump is skipping the debate to do a town hall with Sean Hannity on Fox News. The heads of Harvard, the University of Pennsylvania, and MIT are testifying before Congress today about a disturbing rise in anti-Semitism on American college campuses. New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. We want to make sure that anti-Semitism that we rooted out at its core, uh, it has no place in our university and higher education institutions. And look at the assaults that our Jewish students have been facing. It is unacceptable to have that at any college or university in America. This Jewish American explains what life is like for her at Columbia University. It's tense. It's hostile. There have been days where I've had to walk through not one but two protests on campus in order to get to my classes. Some on Capitol Hill suggesting that federal aid be withheld from schools that do not adopt a zero-tolerance policy toward anti-Semitism. It's day 60 of the war between Israel and Hamas. IDF spokesman Peter Lerner. We're pursuing Hamas wherever Hamas is hiding. Our war is against Hamas, not against the people of Gaza. Correspondent Charlie Daggett's military operations are shifting south in Gaza. The Israelis say that there will be a safe zone, specifically safe neighborhoods. The other question, of course, is whether aid agencies like the UN can uh, help and provide for these people during what will be a very serious and perhaps the final phase of this fight against Hamas in Gaza. Meantime, Israel is said to be considering a plan to flee Hamas tunnels with seawater from the Mediterranean. Hamas is still holding more than 130 hostages. A former U.S. ambassador to Bolivia accused of spying for the Castro regime in Cuba. Attorney General Merrick Garland. Falsely pledging loyalty to the United States while serving a foreign power is a crime that will be met with a full force of the Justice Department. Garland says the accused engaged in clandestine activity for the communist regime in Havana since 1981. The suspect, 73-year-old Victor Manuel Rocha, was arrested at his home in Miami. A massive home explosion lit up the night sky in Arlington, Virginia last night. Like thunder? Rolling thunder, you know, something like that. Like a big boom. It was so powerful it set off nearby car alarms. This woman lives in the area. Says she felt the blast for miles. It's scary to think that this is happening around us and it could happen in what I thought was like a safe community. The blast happened as law enforcement was serving a search warrant. A man inside the home was firing a flare gun. Hundreds of thousands of people each year get artificial hip replacements. They're supposed to last at least 20 years, but in many cases they're not. And one particular hip replacement system has broken down hundreds of times leading to painful surgery. It happened to 56 year old Brad Little. I felt this click. The next thing I knew, I'm on the floor laying down on the ground. More from correspondent Anna Werner. Reports submitted to the FDA describe patients' hips breaking during routine activities, hiking, 
golfing, mowing the lawn. And in a court hearing in 2018, a Wright medical attorney admitted the company was aware of more than 760 fractures of profemur necks. But she defended the product, telling the court, a device fracture does not mean it is defective. Devices fracture all the time. But that's not what the company told doctors. In prior promotional materials, Wright Medical guaranteed the Profemur's structural reliability. Some court cases related to the hip implants have been settled. The brand was sold and is no longer marketed in this country. A volcanic eruption in Indonesia is blamed for nearly 25 deaths. Ten others are missing. Rescue crews are struggling to carry hikers and climbers to safety. And we have a winner for the most searched word or term on Wikipedia for the year 2023. Can you guess what it is? Artificial intelligence tools like ChatGPT seemingly changed the world overnight. The Internet Encyclopedia says OpenAI's ChatGPT raked in over 84 billion with a B views as the technology made its way into our schools, our government, our law and even our church services in the year 2023. This is the Noon Report on the Family Life Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Hometown Heroes on Family Life. This week's guest is Mike Weston, Executive Director of the His Branches Community Health Center in Rochester, New York, with the mission of showing God's love by helping to provide medical care and community development in Rochester. Tell me a little bit about how His Branches sprouted up there in Rochester. Yeah, so His Branches began uh, 45 years ago in 1978. Our founder, Bill Morehouse, saw the need in uh, the underserved neighborhoods in order to provide medical care. So we started a, a clinic, started with a couple doctors and began seeing patients and recognized that it's not just medical care that impacts people's lives, but it's actually where they live. And so it branched into community development as well. So for 45 years now, we've been uh, serving the community here in the 19th Ward, the southwest side of Rochester, as well as the northeast side in Beachwood neighborhood with medical care and community development. Give me a little picture of how that plays out in your day-to-day -day operations. A lot of things that we do here in our office are medical care. We do our primary care. So so if someone comes alongside of us for all of their life, we deliver babies and keep people in. Our newest patient is uh, two days old. and oldest patient is uh, 101. So we stretch the whole gamut. So we work in primary care. And then trust and transportation are, are big issues for our patients. And so we try to have as much in-house as possible. So we have laboratory services. People don't even have to leave in order to get their blood work. We do mental health counseling within our location. Uh, we utilize case managers. So if anyone has barriers such as uh, food, uh, nutrition, if someone's looking for a job, our case managers work with them in order to relieve the barriers to healthcare and also that social determinant. Additionally, we invest in our neighborhood. We do a bike raffle every year, give away 20 to 30 bikes with some partners in town. We had an opportunity to help reduce the speed that takes place outside of our office. So we've had a child that was hit and killed by a car in our neighborhood. So we worked with businesses and neighbors to identify the need and create a solution. As a result, we've seen car speeds drop by 25%, which is the difference between life and death of someone getting hit by a car. So just try to help people wherever they are get to wherever they need to be. The level of need, too, certainly isn't going down in these times, is it? <laughs> 
<laughs> the level of need is only increasing. And right, Rochester is known for its innovation. Uh, it's known for its agitation. It has some of the greatest healthcare in the world. But if you can't get to that location, or if you don't trust the system, or individuals in the system, it just becomes difficult. So, a minority individual living within the city limits of Rochester dies nearly a decade sooner than a, a white resident of the suburbs. And so, uh, our clinics are located in the city. We provide access to those who don't have access. So, a lot of people bike, uh, walk, uh, and get on the bus in order to get near us. And so, like those needs, as we've been able to see, medical and mental health have been extreme, especially coming out of the COVID uh, COVID pandemic. We can argue all day long on what is best or worst in, in the plans. You know, that happens all the time on social media. But as a result, we're, we're left with the fallout. And so our team uh, has found that about 50% of our patients, we have about 3,600 patients, about 50% of them qualify for uh, anxiety and depression. And a lot of that stemmed from just their, their condition of living even before the pandemic. And, and it only worsened as a result of that. So our mental health counselors are working on providers uh, really on an every single day basis in order to help people see that they can have a better tomorrow with the resources, the way and the willpower in order to get forward. So it's been a, it's been a blessing. We've had a mental, mental health for about two years now, and it's been one of our most active programs that we've created. Your mission statement says that you exist to show God's love through all of these different things that you do. And how, how does that manifest itself? One of the things that we look at is we look at the book of Revelation and we see that John reveals that before the throne, there's a multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, and people and languages. So one thing is our team not only reflects our neighborhood, but we want to be an example of the diversity um, made possible by Christ today, as well as the one that we'll experience for all of eternity. So we have a lot of diversity that's made possible by the gospel. We have a staff that's motivated to displace God's love by providing care every single day. So even just our staff uh, is treating individuals with the dignity that is due them as made in God's image. And then one of the things we like doing is by meeting needs, we think it's an awesome way to show our faith in real life. So like when Paul writes in Galatians, he talks about, uh, you know, without works, in a sense, our, our faith is dead. As he writes about that, you know, we think, man, by doing what we do every single day, motivated by faith, uh, we're helping people see God's love. That's Mike Weston, executive director of the His Branches Community Health Center in Rochester, New York, with the mission of showing God's love by helping to provide medical care and community development in Rochester. Please join us again next time as we search for your home, your town, your hero. It's Hometown Heroes on Family Life. Thank you very much, Mark Webster. Hometown Heroes comes your way every Tuesday during the Noon Report or online anytime at familylife.org. Just look for the News tab on the podcast page. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. A disturbance coming in out of the Midwest will brush parts of the area with some snow over the next 24 hours and in its wake some lake effect snow showers will then rule tomorrow into tomorrow night before temperatures moderate heading toward the weekend our call for this afternoon cloudy with a few flurries near lake ontario some light snow spreading across the twin tiers region continuing into tonight then we look for lake effect snow showers tomorrow snow accumulations across most of the area will be slight generally in the neighborhood of a coating to an inch or two some higher tallies will be possible in the favored lake belt area southeast of Lake Erie in Ontario. Temperatures this afternoon, the 30s, dropping to the 20s tonight, rising slightly tomorrow. Thursday, cloudy with a bit of snow, then a bit of rain, and high temperatures in the 30s to near 40. All right, Kevin, thank you. And finally at noon, when it comes to classic Christmas music, I guess what's old is now new. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party.
yeah, you know that tune. Brenda Lee's classic 1958 hit is a modern day hit. Apparently, Billboard Magazine's Hot 100 has just named that tune number one in the country. In fact, it's the first time in the 65 years since the song's release. Yeah, 65 years. First time it's ever shot up to number one. It's just the third holiday song ever to claim top spot on the charts. By the way, Brenda Lee still very much alive and active at the ripe young age of 78. She's the oldest woman to earn top spot on the Billboard 100. Lee was just 13 when she recorded Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree in 1958. Finally, number one. Better late than never. That's the world we live in for Tuesday, the fifth day of December. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.